Well, I do want to, uh, to welcome you to Palm Sunday Worship, whether you're with us on campus or online. Uh, I also want to encourage you, um, for those of you on campus, in, in front of you on the chair back in front of where you're sitting, there is a, an invitation that you can use to invite someone to join us next Sunday uh, in our worship services at 9 or at 11. Uh, and then for those of you online in the chat room, you will see a, a link to a digital invitation that you can use to, enjoy, to invite someone to either join you digitally um, in the stream next Sunday or to join you here on campus in our services next week. I also want to take just a moment. Some of you have been seeing on the pre role for both online and here on campus, a slide that simply says rise and there's a QR code on it. And you're like, I wonder what in the world that is. On April the 29th and the 30th, our Tuesday evening men's group is sponsoring a men's retreat uh, for uh, fellows from our church and around the community. And so guys, if you'd like to be a part of that, the speaker that that Friday night and Saturday is, is some guy named Mark Shaner, who was on our staff for about 15 years. And, uh, and Mark is going to be here with us uh, that Friday night and Saturday. And I talked with him yesterday. He's looking forward to kind of coming home. I, you know, I, I'm not sure how excited I am because he lives in Florida now. And that means in the wintertime, he's warm when I'm cold. And, you know, so Mark's going to brag about that, I know, when he's here. But, but guys, I want to encourage you to come and be a part, plan to, to take part in that. And again, uh, you can find more information on our website or our app. And registration is actually up live now uh, on those two places. So you can, you can find that. Now, it's Palm Sunday. And as Heather said, many of us grew up in the church where, you know, we were taught about Palm Sunday and, and we had the questions that, that she was having. Like, okay, how did these people who were waving the palm branches, how did they turn into the people who were yelling, crucify him, crucify him in just five days? And, and maybe you had questions about it. I mean, I, I had questions like this, like, how big were the palm branches? Right? I mean, because in church, you got these little bitty ones that they got from the local florist, and, and the children would wave them around. And I kept always thinking, well, what, uh, how, really? Is that what they had? Or, or this whole thing of like, when it says they took their cloaks off and threw them on the ground. I'm thinking, I'm a kid, okay? I'm, I'm a Robinson. It's, it's what we do. We think of things, okay? And one of my questions was, so what were they wearing under the cloak? I mean, you know, I mean, just, I mean, what's going on? I mean, maybe your world, maybe your life didn't go like that with your mind. But for me, those were questions that I had. And then there's another one. I've always wondered who started the parade and why did they start the parade? I mean, was this like someone who was like the, the drum major and said, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna start the parade today. Oh, I mean, did somebody plan? I mean, do they have parades like this whenever any prophet comes into Jerusalem. I mean, what started the parade? And so finally, after all of these years, it, it, it really kind of pushed me this year. Those, those questions kind of drove me to look a little deeper at the story. And, and it's an interesting thing when you look in the gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you find that all of them, all four gospels include this parade, this Palm Sunday parade. But only John tells us the answers to the questions I've been having. Because Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they, they talk about the parade and they talk about Jesus sending some disciples to go out and, and get, the, get the donkey ready and to do all of that kind of thing. But, but, but John, John tells us about why the people 
who were in the parade were even there to begin with. And it's a really interesting story. And so this year I thought I would, I would share it with you because here's what I want you to grab hold of. I want you to grab hold of the fact that the people who were in that parade were just like you. They, they were there for different reasons. Many of them had different reactions. And, and there, are, there are four basic parts, components if you would, categories, demographics, whatever you want to call it, of the people in that parade. And, and, and those people in that parade, don't, those people are really, really similar to the people I see right now in the 21st century, coming out of a pandemic in a culture that's shifted. Now, first of all, let's go back to that first question. Who started the parade and why did they start it, all right? Well, you have to go back in the Gospel of John to the 11th chapter, and there you begin to read a story, a story that only John tells us. It's the story of, of a guy named Lazarus. Do you remember this story? Lazarus was, Lazarus was one of Jesus' friends. And Jesus was in another part of the country when word came from Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, that Lazarus was sick. And Jesus... You remember the story? At first, Jesus was like, hey, you know, um, if he's sick, he'll get well. <laughs> and we're just kind of, I'm not going to go. He didn't respond. And then a few days later, he turned to his disciples and said, hey, we're going to go. We're going to go over to Bethany where Mary and Martha and Lazarus live. And Bethany's just outside of Jerusalem. And when, they, when Jesus says that, then the disciples kind of look at him and go, oh, now wait a minute, you said if, he, if, you know, if he's sick, he's gonna get well. I mean, you gotta know the authorities are looking for you. Throughout the Gospel of John, John, the beloved disciple, tells us this story over and over again about how the authorities were always looking for a way to trip Jesus up. And, and now is the Gospel of John is telling us the story of this last week of Jesus' life. It begins... It begins with this understanding that the authorities were trying to trip him up because some weeks earlier, when Jesus finally said to his disciples, hey, you know what? Let's go back to Bethany. And when I get to Bethany, we, we just need to go check on Lazarus. And they were like, well, if he's sick, he'll get well. And Jesus makes this amazing comment. He said, he's already asleep. And they're like, well, if he's asleep, he'll, he'll get better, right? And they're like, no, okay, let me explain. He's dead. <laughs> and because he's dead, I want you to know that you're about to see the power of God in a way you've never seen it before. And what John tells us is that, that when the disciples and Jesus showed up, after Mary and Martha came outside of the city gates to, to meet him, talk to him, <laughs> Say to him, hey, Jesus, if you'd been here, our brother wouldn't have died. Jesus, moved by his own emotion, begins to weep. And he asked him, hey, can you, can you tell me where is the tomb? Take me to the tomb. And so Jesus goes. You, some of you know this story. It's a most amazing story. Because Jesus says, roll the stone away from the front of the tomb. I love the earthiness of, of the story in the Gospel of John because in that moment, we're not sure who said it. it. may have been Mary, may have been Martha, may have been somebody else in the crowd. They're like, hey, Jesus, listen, the man's been dead for several days. By now, the body stinks. Deterioration's already started in. 
Why in the world would John include that little fact, that just little nugget? I tend to think it's because most of us hide sin inside our hearts and, and it begins to stink after a while. And, and Jesus knows that he has the power to replace the stink of death with the aroma of life. And he says, go ahead and roll the stone away. And when he rolls the stone away, he yells into the tomb, hey, Lazarus, come forth. And, and miracle of miracles, a dead man is alive. And he walks out of the tomb. And everybody is in awe, except the religious authorities. Because the religious authorities, John tells us, are perturbed. Because now everyone is coming and talking about this Jesus who raises dead men to life. And they actually begin to plan a way to kill Jesus from that moment on. And what John tells us is that, is that when that happens and Jesus moves off center stage in Jerusalem and in Bethany, and he goes out, quite honestly, into the wilderness area, away from the crowds, because the authorities are trying to kill him. It's in that moment that people begin to ask the question, when is Jesus coming back by? When is Jesus coming back? And they know that the Passover feast is coming up. This annual celebration of the deliverance of Israel from Egyptian bondage is about to happen and everybody who's Jewish, everybody who's an Israelite, they're supposed to come into Jerusalem to celebrate this. And so the word on the street, the gossip in the mouths is, hey, is, is Jesus gonna be here for Passover? Jesus is in the wilderness because they're seeking to kill him. But what John tells us in the 11th chapter is that Jesus comes back. And in John chapter 12, it says that he came back to Bethany, to Lazarus's house where Mary and Martha lived. And he came there and on, on a Saturday evening, after the Passover, not the Passover, the Sabbath restrictions were lifted. Because if you know the Jewish faith, Sabbath begins Friday at sundown. And then at sundown on Saturday, Passover or the Sabbath is over. And this is the Sabbath before the Passover. And at Mary and Martha and Lazarus' house, when the Sabbath ends, the party begins. And it's this great story. All these people gathered in their house. And what John tells us is that more and more people are talking about the fact that this is the same guy who was dead. And now he's alive. And Jesus is there. Mary is so moved by it. Some of you know the story. She goes and gets a very expensive bottle of perfume, of ointment. And, and she pours it on Jesus' feet. And then she dries it with her hair. And there's this holy moment when Judas, the disciple who kept the treasury bag, who would later betray Jesus, looks and says, all of that, why are you letting her waste that, Jesus? We could have fed so many poor people with that. But then John, because he's the beloved disciple and a part of the inner circle, adds this little parenthetical statement when he says, um, well, it's not just because he cared about the poor. 
You see, Judas kept the treasury and he usually stole from it for himself. His greed was revealed. But that's Saturday night. And again, the authorities find out where Jesus is. And this time, they're, they're, they're seeing all these people come to Lazarus' house. And, and, and what John tells us is that they're, they're upset, not just because Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, but they're upset that Lazarus is alive. And so they plan to kill Lazarus and Jesus. Now, you got to get that picture. Because that's the night before the parade. That's the night before the Palm Sunday parade. That's what's been going on in the lives of the people. And, and because of that, then the next morning, when Jesus is, is heading down the, the, the road from Bethany into Jerusalem, it's not a very long walk, just a few miles but the crowds begin to gather because everybody knows Lazarus was dead and now he's alive. And Jesus is the one who called him back to life. And in that parade, to be real honest, who started the parade? Lazarus started the parade. Because they're walking down the street, heading in to Jerusalem, to the temple for the Passover. And the crowd begins to grow. And it begins to grow and grow and grow because people are saying, hey, listen, have you ever seen a dead man walk? Have you ever seen someone who was dead and is now alive? Have you ever seen the person who could cause that to happen? Hey, listen, they're walking down the road right now. Come with me. And that's why John tells us the parade started. Listen, to the way he records it. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Jesus' disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness to tell the story. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this amazing sign so the Pharisees said to one another, you see, you're gaining nothing by letting him keep teaching. Look, the whole world has gone after him. That's why the parade started. And in the parade, there were, there were four groups of people. And this morning, I'm just wondering which group you fit in. Because around the world today, there are people who are remembering this parade. Around the world today, there are people who are celebrating the name of Jesus. Around the world today, there are people, some of them with the little palm branches like we had as kids, some of them with great big palm branches, some of them with mental images. But it's Palm Sunday. It's the start of Holy Week. There's a crowd. But who's in the crowd? 
when Jesus shows up? Well, let's look at this crowd. First of all, when Jesus shows up, some of us celebrate because of what we've heard about him. Did you hear that in the text? We, we celebrate because we've heard that this guy, this Jesus, he can do things that no one else can do. This Jesus can forgive sins that no one else can forgive. This Jesus can reclaim lives that no one else has reclaimed. He can restore relationships. He can do things. We, we've heard about it. And so some of us, when we hear about it, we begin to celebrate it. I mean, look again at the way that, that John writes it for us. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming on a donkey's colt. Now, you have to know something. When, when they shouted those words, it infuriated the religious authorities because they were actually combining some words from Zechariah and some words from Zephaniah. And the fact that they would call Jesus the king of Israel, that was a nationalistic thing. That, that was something where they were saying, our nation's better than Rome and we're gonna overthrow Rome and Jesus is the one who's gonna lead us into that. You see, some people just shout what they hear other people shouting. They don't know Jesus. They've not met him face to face. He's not shown up in their life. They've not allowed him to, to, to pull the death out of their stinking tomb. But you've heard about him. And when other people talk about him, it's like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, Jesus. I, I know, but Jesus, hey, can I tell you something? Jesus didn't come here just to be on the gossip and rumor mill. J Jesus showed up because he knows you. Jesus wasn't walking down that path from Bethany into Jerusalem that day so that people would celebrate and shout. No, no, he was walking from that, that place of miraculous resurrection to a place of a more miraculous resurrection because it wouldn't be someone else that he would raise from the dead on the next Sabbath, on the next first day of the week, no, he, he would be raised from the dead himself. And he wouldn't do it just for one person or one family or one group of people. No, he was doing that for the whole world. So this morning, the question is simply this. Are you willing to, to embrace the reality that, that on Palm Sunday, part of the reason that people can praise him today and curse him five days later Part of the reason we tend to flip-flop back and forth between following him and not following him is because instead of meeting him, some of us have just heard about him. And, and what Jesus came to do was not, was not to just let you hear about him. He came to meet you. He already knows you. He came to introduce himself to you. To step into your life and build a relationship with you. So on Palm Sunday, when Jesus comes by, tomorrow morning when Jesus comes by, Thursday at two o'clock when Jesus comes by, don't, don't settle for just being someone who 
shouts of praise because you've heard about him. He wants to meet you. Uh, the, the, the second group of people that were there, really interesting group of people, they're his disciples. They're the people that you think really would know him, right? They spent three years with him. They've heard him teach. They, they were the ones who were with him when he raised Lazarus from the dead. They're the ones who, who began the whole process with him three years earlier. And, and now they're seeing this and the crowds are gathering. And, and you would think they would get it, right? Because Jesus has been teaching them all along why he came and what he was going to do. Even the night before, he had sat with them in an upper room and said, hey, listen, tomorrow, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I'm. But no, they didn't get it. They didn't get it either. And what John says, because John was one of them, is that we didn't really understand what was happening until after Jesus died, was resurrected, showed up to be with us for 40 days, explained all the scriptures to us, and then ascended to be with the Father. And then, then we remembered, oh, that's what that was about. Oh, that, that's, that. Then we understood but as the crowd is shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the king of Israel, the disciples, the 12 guys who were closest to him. John says, we didn't really understand. You see, some people, when Jesus shows up, there are some of us who don't understand what's happening until much, much later. Maybe that's been what's going on in your life sometimes. I mean, hindsight is 2020, right? And nobody knows the future. And understanding what's going on today, well, that, that, that's hard. But when you look back at it, you go, oh, 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 that's what was going on. Have you ever been in a setting where you didn't understand what was happening, but you just went along with everybody anyway? Uh, years ago, on a Sunday morning here, a friend of mine brought one of his family members with him. He had told me a few weeks earlier, he said, I'm, I'm going to bring my, my family member with me. He, he doesn't go to church. And if that's who you are today, I'm so glad that you're here. Because they're going to be, this story you're going to understand. Probably better than some of the rest of us. Okay? You know, those of us who've been raised going to church and we know all the secret handshakes and the things to say and not to say and how to put the front on so people know that or think that we're better than we are and all of that kind of stuff. But for, 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 you know, that, that's kind of a bunch of us, right? But my friend was like, hey, you know, I, I've got a cousin. He's been in jail, in and out of jail. He's never been in church at all. But, but somehow he, he, he got hold of me and he's in jail right now and they'll give him a pass to come to church if I go and pick him up, sign him out, my own recognizance, and then bring him back. And so I'm bringing him. And so I just want to let you know, Pastor, I, I think you might like to meet him. So before the, the service that day, I, I stepped down over in this area and, and talked to him, greeted him, welcomed into church. And then during the service, we, we were, it was one of those Sundays when we were serving communion. Now, this is back before COVID, right? When we, when we would take the communion trays and we would pass them down each aisle because none of us was afraid of a virus. We maybe should have been afraid of a virus, but we weren't, all right? And so we'd pass it down and people would just kind of take it. And, 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 and so the plate goes by and the uh, 
and the bread goes by and people are in prayer and doing what you know, religious people do when we take communion. And then there was this moment when the entire room, we all took the bread together and then we took the cup together and then we said a prayer. And when it was over, when it was over, I noticed just out of the peripheral vision that, <laughs> that this guy who was here for the very first time turned to his cousin and said something and, and his cousin kind of smiled and nodded and said something back. After the service, his cousin came to me two reasons. Number one, I had to sign that he was here so he could go back to the jail. But number two, when he stepped away a little bit, his, his friend, who was a member of our church, leaned over to me and said, hey, pastor, when, when we took communion this morning, my cousin, who had never been here before, who'd never been in a church when that happened before, looked over at me and said, what in the world is this? What are we doing? He's talking about body and blood and bread and cup. What is that? I said, so what are you going to do? He goes, oh, we're going to go to lunch and have a discussion <laughs> about what all of that means. And you know what, folks? I think there are some of us that God is at work in our life. He's doing things in our life. People are talking about him. We hear about him. And we think we understand, but we miss it. That's what John is saying about himself and the other disciples when he says, hey, listen, we didn't understand it. Not right then. I mean, look at it again from the scriptures. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. See, I want you to embrace the reality that in the parade of life, God doesn't expect you to understand all of it right away. But when it's time, he'll let you know. So there were people in the crowd who'd never met Jesus but just heard about the things he had done and they were shouting. And the disciples didn't understand why everybody was shouting, but hey, you know, everybody's shouting, so let's just go ahead and shout. But then, but then there were those religious authorities and they heard what people were saying. And they were really worried about what was gonna happen to their nation, what was gonna happen to them when Rome found out that there's this teacher from Galilee, this, this Nazarene called Jesus, and, and he's got people following him, and, and there's gonna be a revolt, and they're calling him the new king of Israel, and, and in their mind, they're justified to say, hey, you know what, we need to get rid of him because he's putting our entire nation at risk because Rome is the power of the world, and they will squelch us. Because you see, when Jesus shows up, not only do some people just hear about him and some people not understand what's going on, but some people just flat out reject him. They, they, just, they just say, you know what? I'm not going there. That can't happen. It messes up my plans too much. It, it, it inconveniences me too much. It, it changes me too much. It, it, it's just too much for me to handle. I cannot handle Jesus in my life. Oh, I can take religion. I can talk about him. But to really let him be in control of my life, to really say to him, hey, you know what? My life smells like Lazarus' tomb. And I need you to open it. 
and breathe your spirit into it and bring life into my death and forgiveness to my sins and, and make me a brand new person. I, 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 really, I really need you to, to tell them to take the grave clothes off of me so I can walk. To say that to Jesus, it's just too much. That, that's, that's why the religious authorities said this. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see, you're gaining nothing. They're talking to each other. The ones who had said, hey, just let him go. It'll be all right. No, no, you're gaining nothing. The whole world is going after him. The whole world. Because you see, when, when Jesus really shows up, it's a radical redirection of the way we live. It's not just business as usual. It's a, it's, it's, it calls us to a, to a place of dependence upon him instead of dependence upon ourselves, It calls us to a place of his agenda rather than our agenda. It calls us to a place of love instead of hate and grace instead of anger and mercy instead of revenge. It calls us to a place where this world is not our home, where we become the people of God living in the kingdom of God. Yes, we're still on the planet. Yes, we still rub shoulders with people who don't know who Jesus is. Yes, we still live in the consequences of the human culture, but the reality is that when we say to Jesus, you know what, I'm not gonna just listen to the stories about you. And I'm gonna really, really open my heart for you to help me understand what it is you want to do in my life. And I'm not gonna reject you. I'm, I'm gonna embrace you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna allow you to, to raise me from my death. When we say that to him, when we say that to him, it changes everything. It changes everything. And for these men and women, the religious authorities, they were like, wow. This is, the whole world is coming after this, this teacher from Nazareth and and he's about to ruin everything we know. We have to get rid of him. But you know what happens? Not everybody rejects him. Not everybody misunderstands him. And not everybody just talks about him. Some people, some people really seek God. They really seek Jesus. When Jesus shows up, there are some of us who seek him. There are some who seek a relationship with him. And, and what I want to ask you this morning is, would that be you? Would you be someone who, who, who might have heard, might, might actually begin to open yourself up to understand and, and you might be willing to, to say, you know what? This, this could be the person who could change my life. I mean, look at, look at what John tells us happened for these people who weren't Jewish, weren't from Galilee. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. 
So these, these people came to Philip. Now, oftentimes people say, well, why would he come to Philip? Well, Philip is a Greek name. Philip was from Bethsaida in Galilee. In Bethsaida, Greek was a common marketplace language. So they evidently had either met Philip or they knew of Philip. And they asked him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. There is no greater question, no more powerful question question than that. When I was 21 years old, I became the youth pastor of a church down the south side of Indianapolis. I was still in college. In fact, it was my senior year of college. And that year was a really special year for me. I remember that year. We'll never forget that year for a couple of reasons. Number one, played my senior year of football. Number two, I, uh, I worked in the psychology department 20 hours a week. Number three, I worked as a part-time youth pastor down by Perry Meridian High School on the south side of town. Number four, I convinced my wife, who was then my girlfriend, to become my fiance. It was a good year. I will never forget it. And they, and they asked me one Sunday evening. That was in the days we had Sunday night church. And they didn't let young guys preach on Sunday morning. We weren't ready yet. But on Sunday night, they asked me to preach. And when I walked to the platform, and they had a pulpit sitting there, someone, I don't know who, I don't know when, but they had, they had a plaque made that was placed where only the speaker could hear it or see it. And it said, Sir, Forgive us, ladies. There was a gender exclusivism that shouldn't have been there because that was a congregation that did embrace women as ministers, just like this one. But they had quoted this verse from when the Greeks talked to Philip, and so they used the masculine address. Sir, we would see Jesus. And can I tell you, in all the years, in all the places since that Sunday night where I preached, there were three things I remembered about that Sunday night. Number one was my youth group, halfway through the sermon, began to hold up placards from the back. One said, amen. Then three of them together, praise the Lord. Never forget that. I'll never forget the people in that church who were so loving and gracious to me. And I will never forget that phrase, we would see Jesus. And in the years since that moment, God's honored and blessed me and invited me to speak in, gosh, four continents and a whole lot of countries around the world. But every time I stand, I still hear that question. We want to see Jesus. And this morning, I, I really want to ask you to consider that for your life. To consider being someone who, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter who's failed you, no matter who's let you down, you would learn to see who Jesus is. You won't just talk about him You won't just misunderstand him. 
and you surely won't reject him. 